This is Death by DVD, and you are listening to Harry Scott Sullivan. On this episode, we are celebrating 14 years of Death by DVD. July 9th, 2009, we debuted our first episode, always live recorded on Friday nights, which we did until 2019. And after that, this modern, pre-recorded era of Death by DVD began. During the first five or six years of our live run, we would end the episodes with me jokingly saying that on the next episode we were going to review Weekend at Bernie's. We never did. Until now. With me, he hates raspberry vinaigrette. It's I, Alexander Nash. What? About raspberry vinaigrette? It's from the movie. It ties it in. I always try to tie the movie in. Like the one time I said that you got a testicle transplant, it tied it into the movie, and you were like, I'm not That's the classic Weekend at Bernie's line you went with? Something about raspberry vinaigrette? Well, would you have rather been he prefers walnut vinaigrette? I thought that was a very telling scene. It's the first time we're introduced (laughs) to Don Kalfa being in the movie, and I thought most audience members would know. They gravitate to the vinaigrette conversation. Yeah, the character Vito that appears in this movie for less than three minutes, I thought everyone would would pick up on the vinaigrette, that this character likes the vinaigrette. Most people don't even remember the the mob at, like, angle to the film. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a character named Vito in the movie, people are asking. I thought this was Weekend at Bernie's. But yeah, 14 fucking years old, 14 years of death by DVD, I think... On, on what we're currently at, we we have, haven't hit episode 200 yet. I think we're actually on episode 198 or 199. I'm not sure which this one's going to be. I think it might be episode 199. And it, it's been a wild fucking run. I, I, I don't even know what movies we covered on the original show comparatively to now, that there has been so much discussion, so many films on Death by DVD. But one thing that constantly stands out is... I don't even know why it was a running joke. I think maybe because it was just a preposterous idea that we would ever discuss this movie on our show. So I just said it because it was funny, and eventually it faded into time. We also had the inebriation dedication segment. We had a bunch of shit. The original live show actually had segments and wasn't just us free-balling it. Oh, they were named, baby. (laughs) Through Dead Men's Eyes is when we would discuss video rentals or some shit i don't remember yeah we had segments and you know we, we kind of still do we've got the recently seen thing that's its own show now but making a reality come true i i really don't know i can't i can't speak for the audience but i don't know how many people from those live runs are left i know there's there's got to be a couple of them every now and again i'll see somebody when i post a link in a facebook group or something go oh my god i remember that show from 2010 it can't be the same people ha <laughs> uh, it's not because hank was 
devastatingly and drastically brutally murdered December 2022. You can hear all about it at deathbydvd.com slash whoshothank. You may or may not have heard that Death by DVD is taking the summer off, summer 2023, and will be on Patreon. We got a little program called Summer School where you'll be able to, I don't know, get your fix, get your fill of Death by DVD. We'll be there on video episodes where we'll be talking about movies like Weekend at Bernie's, Surf Nazis Must Die, Police Academy. But we're going to do some dated comedies like Summer School with Mark Harmon. And talk about some things we normally don't, so this is a tease. You get this full episode. We couldn't not celebrate our 14th birthday. I said that like with a weird Jersey accent. Our 14th birthday! Um, look at me, I'm Madonna! That's my Madonna impersonation. Not only that, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is like, we might be on the anniversary of Weekend at Bernie's coming out. I think it came out in 89? Yes. And it was like July of 89, because there was a whole thing with I'm going to the movies for my birthday weekend at Bernie's it is. And then I'm still a child. And uh, <laughs> my mother says, I didn't, I PG 13. Not so sure. Honey, I shrunk the kids instead. That's what I get stuck with. It's okay. It's all right. It's technically a Stuart Gordon film, yeah. but I digress. I want a weekend at Bernie's and I didn't get to see it till it was on HBO. All these years later, you finally get your weekend at Bernie's. It's finally coming well, full I've circle. Well, I've seen it several times since then, but <laughs> yeah, one, once or twice. But I mean, this is this is the big event, and this is us getting to slip it in briefly for the audience, and they get to feel what summer school with Death by DVD is going to be like. I dressed up for the episode. You can hear it, but if you're watching the video version, I'm doing a little Don Calfa cosplay. Yeah, I'm wearing the exact same thing I always wear. <laughs> but it's summer fucking break. It's summer school. And we're 14 years old, so yeah, we're going to talk about Weekend at Bernie's. A, a much darker movie than I remembered it ever being. Wait, you figure the, the guys parading around a dead corpse was a darker film than you remember. That was funny. You know, I thought it was like, ha, 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 we got this dead body. But Larry Wilson, played by Andrew McCarthy, is an alarming sociopath, an incredibly dangerous person, and should never be allowed on the streets. The character he is portraying, Andrew McCarthy, is one of the fucking scariest 80s horror villains. Like, Silence of the Lambs comes out just a few years later, and you've got... Hannibal Lecter, who is so fucking insane, he's in this tiny little box, he has to wear this mask, he eats people. I think Andrew McCarthy's Larry Wilson is a scarier fucking character, because every bad idea in this movie, he doesn't care. And the thing that is the kicker, that really I think proves my point, is when they find out that Bernie's dead, his first reaction is, why do bad things happen to me? Why does this happen? This guy is a casebook sociopath and has no problem. He's living out a decadent necrophilia fantasy that he's forcing his friend Richard to partake in until the end of the movie. This guy could be doing countless murders and no one would know about it. I mean, he's a fucking sly sociopath. I hate to say this, but Bernie, it appears as if somebody's trying to defraud the company. Gentlemen, this is good work. Very, very good work. How would you two like to come to my house at the beach? The man absolutely loves us. Don't kill them while I'm around. Forget the accident with the two guys. Take care of Lomax. Ow! Ooh, what was... Oh. Hello, Bernie! We're here! 
Larry Lomax is dead. What kind of a host invites you to his house for the weekend and dies on you? He's the one who's been stealing from the company. Son of a... Bernie? He's gonna have us killed? Lomax told whoever he's talking to not to kill us if he's around, right? Yeah, yeah, but Lomax is dead. He's not around anybody yeah. anymore. <laughs> I know that. You know that. Nobody else knows that. <laughs> oh! Welcome to Bernie's place. Hey, Bernie! Ladies! Hello! Where the parties are to die for. Hey, Bernie. Bernie. Oh, Bernie! You're really this. <laughs> Doesn't anyone realize he's dead? The women. Hey, Bernie around? Are drop dead gorgeous. Oh, God! And the host. Where's Bernie? I'll kill him if he's cheating on me. Is a little stiff. He's in the bedroom. Laid more dead than I do alive. Hold the boat! Dive in to the ultimate 80s comedy. This is tougher than it looks! You hear something? What that is? What is that? Weekend at Bernie's. Everybody's a fucking psycho in this movie. I mean, I guess you could really, in the deep run, uh, look at this movie as some sort of political analogy for... Analogy? I said that weird. Analogy for capitalism and its crushing in you that it causes on society. I mean, it's it, it could be a motivational Communist Party piece. Capitalism drives you to murder. It's almost fascistic. That is a bit of a stretch. I mean, Dostoevsky, it could be you could compare these things. Uh, have you read Marx? <laughs> or Ingalls? Now, supposedly, this is based on an Indian film um, from, like, the 70s, I believe. Slightly based on it. Like, it's completely different kind of vibe, but that's where the idea was wrought. And originally, it started out as a two Corys movie. They were going to possibly get the two Corys to star in this film, which... It probably wouldn't be as well remembered because I I don't know of anybody who's really still like out there like fiending for more dream a little dream that most of their movies tanked. License Drive was a hit. I'll give it that. License Drive made money, but uh, but at what cost? The the one thing that I in a uh, the recent rewatch is how good the chemistry is between Jonathan Silverman and Andrew McCarthy. Like that's the whole thing that like keeps the movie together is they've got really good chemistry and they play off each other well because Silverman is doing the uptight rich uh, like wannabe rich guy who's like you know scared of his own shadow. McCarthy's the cut loose guy, and which is strange because this is actually one of Andrew McCarthy's favorite films he ever starred in. Um, he's no longer an actor; he like writes books and stuff. But he talks about this one fondly and. I think it's really this is the movie that let him break out of that pattern because all of his Brat Pack stuff, all of his early 80s stuff like um, Less Than Zero, uh, Pretty in Pink, um, St. Elmo's Fire. He's always like the very quiet guy who everybody thinks is gay or, you know, he's always like kind of the responsible one. And this one, he got to be the crazy guy and he does it well. And even though, um, yeah. He probably needs to be locked up. This character's a bad dude. It's some Patrick Bateman level of of sociopathy that uh, he he flawlessly plays it too. Though it it is maybe the most riveting thing about the movie is is watching Andrew McCarthy because you're so 
riveted by he's funny and he does a lot of great body comedy but if seriously evaluating the movie and watching it it's like holy fucking shit this man is dangerous he's very very dangerous i live in the american gardens building on west 81st street on the 11th floor my name is patrick bateman i'm 27 years old i believe in taking care of myself in a balanced diet and a rigorous exercise routine and like Jonathan Zillman does an admirable job right. playing his character. Um, I, I think he does well for what the character is. I personally prefer him in something like uh, what's it, Brighton Beach Memoirs, the Neil Simon film. But like that was deep. The two of them together is what works. Because I think um, through research, found out that like John Cryer was originally supposed to play the Larry character until Andrew McCarthy came in, and I think that dynamic would work. But I just don't think the character of Larry because with McCarthy playing him he does like garner a little bit of sympathy he's kind of pathetic and John Cryer playing that like yeah he was able to pull that off with a character like Ducky but I don't think he would have been able to pull it off with Larry he would just have been kind of annoying the whole movie I just don't think he was fit for the role but and Kisser Terry Kisser playing Bernie is a hell of a performance of doing nothing like of literally just being able to like absorb abuse the entire movie and not break. I would say that maybe the Richard Parker character would have been apt for somebody like John Cryer, and it would have been able uh, to give him some sort of choppy comedy performance. But I just don't see him at all being successful in the film. Uh, Andrew McCarthy aside, that Terry Kisser is the star of the show. So much of it is. I don't know. You don't think about this movie. You know Weekend at Bernie's. You're kind of familiar. Yeah, it's the dead guy, and it's a lot of holding the dead guy, and it's kind of silly. It's funny. For one, it's an hour and 55 minutes, and it's kind of floaty. You can manage to get through it without going through that phone syndrome of staring at your phone, but when you're really seriously watching it, it's much more than this guy sitting on a couch. He's Terry Kisser's going through the, 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 the ring here. It's like a fucking Stooge-esque performance. He's really getting hit. Um, maybe Stooge-esque wasn't quite apt. Uh, I was going to say Keaton-esque, but Buster Keaton did a great deal more. But what the fuck ever. It's a reference. <laughs> you get the goddamn point I'm trying to make. I get right? the gist. He does a good kind of silent performance where he's not really asked to do anything, but yet he's kind of doing everything. Like, he has that smirk on his face the entire movie and just holds it the entire movie. What's really crazy is just... You know, how how often does he, I mean, obviously you never see it because of cuts, but watching some scenes, I guess you got to evaluate how long before a cut is, but it seems like there are times where he's holding his eyes open for at least two or three minutes. You can see behind the sunglasses, he never quite actually blinks. Well, like, in general, the story is, there's not much going on, because you have the initial break of two losers who want to make a come up. They find this money. Bernie like convinces them to come to his beach house to get like to, to, to come down for the weekend so he can murder them because he's the one who's stealing the money. And that's all pretty much done within the first like 15, 20 minutes. And then it just becomes like a straight up slapstick comedy post that. And it really doesn't have a story other than we're running. It's very much like a caper film. I mean, with it taking place at the beach, I will equate it to something no one's ever equated 
before, like a Frankie Avalon. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Beach film, something along those lines, just like a little bit more hardcore. It's the same type of comedy. I mean, Don Calfa could like he would have uh, fits in with a movie like Catalina Caper, um, where he's doing basically the same performance that's in that film of just like the the inept um, watcher on that you're not really sure um, where he's going to come in and but he always gets foiled like, each and every time in some slapstick fashion. Not even so much foiled. I mean, he successfully, I I feel stupid saying this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. Spoilers. We're going to talk about some fucking spoilers for Weekend at Bernie's that came out July 1989. Bernie dies. Yeah, Bernie dies. And that's uh, so. Spoilers, man. Yeah. Bernie dies. God, God bless all of you out there that haven't seen it, but Bernie dies. Um, it, it, And it might be essential to the plot. Who knows? But he's successful in carrying out his mission. And that's, I guess, where it transgresses and gets even darker with with the comedy it's trying to play is he leaves the island and ends up having to come back because they're convinced Bernie isn't dead. There are acts of necrophilia in this movie. That's another scene that convinces of me of the utter sociopathy of this film. Bernie's girlfriend, who is actually this mafia boss's girlfriend, comes to the island, fucks him. He's been dead. I don't know, like 18 hours at this point. Rigor has definitely had to have set in, voided his bowels. That's how she was able to have sex with him. Yeah, she fucks the shit out of him, but Andrew McCarthy finds the great, all of them do, everyone finds such enjoyment of this. And you know, though, what what it it hit me with something that I never really thought about before. Um, say, Say what you want about Kevin Smith. This isn't about like the later part of his career. But I always thought one of the the most original and yet dreadful things to come from Clerks was the corpse fucking scene. And man, watching, like, not fucking around on my phone, I sat down today and watched Weekend at Bernie's. There's there's a drastic amount of similarities between how those scenes run down. And suddenly I'm, I'm a little, I don't want to say Kevin Smith was biting Weekend at Bernie's, but the the time and the place and the style of humor really do kind of fit. But still, regardless, on screen, there have only been maybe three or four funny corpse-fucking moments. And, I mean, I could almost name them all. You've got Clerks, Weekend at Bernie's, um... Gonna go with Necromantic 2. I was gonna say Part 2, but the end of Necromantic, the funniest part, when he dies... <laughs> It's kind of funny. That's not really corpse fucking. And then um, Dead Girl. That's a really good movie. <laughs> yeah, the comedy's juvenile. Um, it is stuff that my three-year-old would find funny. Um, but I can still appreciate it on certain levels because it's how like, kind of screwed up and fucked up a lot of the stuff is. Like, most kids wouldn't understand some of those jokes. So it's... It's kind of a comedy for all ages, as far as I'm concerned. It's just because there's nothing objectionable other than like screwball hijinks, and it's not particularly overly I mean, sexual. It's not particularly overly violent. It's just like ridiculous bullshit. So I don't know. It's fun. Yeah, I mean, there's some murder. There's a lot of more dark topics like the the said necrophilia, but it isn't so overt that unless you really know what what you're unless you know about it, it's not gonna pick in your head it's not going to be something a child picks up on so yeah there's i don't see as we're now reviewing movies for children uh it being entirely problematic for a kid to watch it but fucking just watching the movie for what it is i i never once realized 
how dark it was. I, I always took this to be a bit more of an innocent screwball comedy that was playing in darker territory, but it's just kind of a darker, fucking nasty movie playing in lighter territory. And then the sequel, I think, goes full into t- horror territory. Do you want to get into the sequel and the insanity that that shit is? I mean, we have the glory of the original film, but the sequel is definitely uh, more of a horror comedy than this. This is more of a comedy. Voodoo gets involved. Fucking voodoo. But Don Kalfa, he does return, and that is one of the selling points for this movie for me. I didn't recall um, Don being in the movie as much as he was. I-, I always thought he was in the sequel much more, but... Aside from maybe the first five or six minutes, he's in almost every scene. He's in the final scene of the movie also. One hell of a performance, only two or three years off of Return of the Living Dead. So you've got a great look at at the ability this man had. I think personally when it comes to Return of the Living Dead, Kalfa is, is one of the the selling points of that film too as Ernie it's just a fucking amazing character the the three core people you got James Karen Don Kalfa and Clue Gulliger they made that film this one specifically I mean what well, you you'd say Terry Andrew and then Don I think we could have interplaced the Richard Parker Jonathan Silverman with several people and it would have been fine I mean Jonathan Silverman's fantastic I though I think the the back and forth between him and Andrew McCarthy is really what gives the film its motion. And you can tell that a good portion of the comedy is improv. And it's back when improv was like directed improv, not a Judd Apatow film where we just like roll camera for like 40 minutes and you just say a bunch of random shit. Like, I mean, it's really about playing off each other and just coming up with like, you know, quick lines and just, and kind of settling and not just like kind of getting masturbatory with it. Um, and well, a lot no of that has character. to do with having an app director behind <laughs> Did you, did you catch who was the director and what else he directed? Ted Kochef. Yes. The director of first blood. So that's a random ass filmography, but I mean, he was a, like, he's a director that knew how to direct and he knew how to keep his actors in line and knew when to let them experiment. And there's, a fair amount of script there's a fair amount of experimentation in the film but it never like meanders it doesn't just like go off on like a tangent for 5 minutes of the movie where we're just like saying a like a a country's name funny i can't believe, like you know something like that where they just like back and forth or they have a random talk about the game operation that comes out of nowhere which was a lot a more modern improv comedy stuff is which gets annoying after a while, but it's just, it's nice to have a fair amount of like, you know, like, Ooh, what word am I looking for? Like some subtlety in improv and like really kind of just keeping it all together and keeping it in universe and not letting it be Will Ferrell playing a character and just letting him riff. And this is like, they are the characters and they are riffing in character. Ted Kotcheff also did Wake and Fright, 1971. Don't want to leave that out. Um, I, I, I don't disagree with you, but you, you, like you said, Will Ferrell, and um, uh, that kind of gets a little onto my point. Will Ferrell's really good at characters, and sometimes his characters are, are very similar, but when he's riffing and he's doing whatever, 
he usually manages to stay in a character. And then you brought up something like Judd Apatow's film, which also I like. I, I like all those guys. I like Seth Rogen. I really like Judd Apatow. Yeah, I don't as a hate director. any of these things, and I don't hate all the, any of those movies particularly. But it's just it's a different style, and I get a little. It gets a little tiresome well, the, after because I thing... watch what. The, what what really gets me with those type of pictures is you've usually amassed a a certain crew of people and you've got those certain people for their styles and they're not playing characters. When you get somebody like Seth Rogen, sure he plays a character, but he does it the Seth Rogen way, which it's it's pretty much like an amalgamation of Seth Rogen or whatever this character is. When you're looking at the dynamic of Weekend at Bernie's and you mentioning a director that knows how how to control these people, I think. The duality between the characters, one, really does fall on Andrew McCarthy with a great deal of excellence, but it's it's being able to riff with inside the character. Now, you can show anybody on set, and that's kind of what happens with like a Judd Apatow film. You've got these people that have been brought in because of what they're known for. They're not necessarily playing a character as to where with Weekend at Bernie's, you've got people that are riffing inside of this character and bringing it to life. It's not just... Andrew McCarthy being Andrew McCarthy, and you also brought up his previous work and things like Saint Elmo at Saint Elmo's Fire, where he he it's not that he didn't blossom of an as an actor as a very serious, quiet role guy. Yeah, he fucking excelled at it and was great. But beyond the comedy, I think the selling point is is getting somebody with Andrew McCarthy. And we got on this tangent because I had said, um, I I think that. Uh, Jonathan Silverman's character could have been played by anyone, but now that we've gotten kind of deeper into this rabbit hole, I do think Silverman is a very important key to the character, but like you'd brought up with John Cryer, if it comes to the director and riffing within the character, I, I think John could have done it. How about this? Because the, the way I like the character, I like the character of Ducky in Pretty Pink. I think it's an amazing historic film yeah, character. Agreed, totally. But at times, Ducky gets a little annoying. Because he gets so down on himself, he gets so kind of like lost in his own little pathetic universe. And McCarthy adds some strength to the character, I think. There's there's not anything leading. You have to have something to push. And I think maybe, hypothetically, if it was Andrew McCarthy and John Cryer, there would have to be more of, of a, a masculine duality between the two. And what sells Andrew McCarthy's character is he starts as this weaselly little wimp, but halfway through the movie, you're like, this guy's fucking, he's insane. This guy has no problem dragging a dead body around for days, pretending it's alive, just kind of parading it at this point. And he says something, I think, poignant uh, toward the beginning of the movie when they get to Bernie's house. He's like, well, I'm home. He's already settled on, I'm fine, whatever we have to do to get through this. I mean, one of the only things that actually bothers him as a character is when they find his suicide note, and he says uh, very offensively, oh, after you find out that he stole the money with his best friend for a sex change operation, and then there was a change of heart. He says something to the effect of, well, they're going to think I'm a drag queen. That's all he cares about is this pseudo-reputation that he doesn't even have. Fucking sociopath, man. Well, if you want to get deeper into that character, um, he's also, you find out in part two, that Larry is a virgin. So oh, Larry is a, has a smokescreen. Like, his whole personality is a front. He's always trying to be ultra-masculine, ultimate party guy. And at the end of the day, he really is Celebrate! as like, nebbish... And like kind of uh, like scared of himself. Um, meanwhile, you have Silverman doing the, the like the kind of the 
Woody Allen uncomfortable performance, but he's at least sure of who he is. He's not sure where his place is in the world, but he's sure of who he is in like his own skin. You can even look at the introduction to these two characters when the movie starts. It's very hot outside. It's New York City in the middle of summertime, and Andrew McCarthy is wearing shorts and a fucking Hawaiian shirt to work. They work at uh, an office complex in New York City. It's a big building. But Richard Parker, Jonathan Silverman's character, is still wearing dress clothes. No matter how hot, uncomfortable, and miserable it is, he is a person who set a standard for himself as how he is going to appear and how he wants to be perceived, no matter how nebbish he might actually be. And that's our that's our immediate introduction to these characters. And as they unfold as people, it's Richard's character that finds... Or it's Richard, who is the character, I'm sorry. It's Jonathan Silverman's character, Richard Parker, who finds this problem. And the movie starts very earnestly and honestly of these two people. One is a very hard worker and one is perceived to be the slacker friend finding out an error with the company, which they report to their boss, played by Terry Kisser, who's Barney Lomax, the titular character. And thus, things fall into complete place with almost a role reversal of Jonathan Silverman still is this person who knows who he is, but we go through the whole funny shit with... um. What is it, Catherine Mary Stewart? No, is it? Yes. Yeah, Catherine yes. Mary Stewart. From Night and, of the Comet. Well, he lies to her, and we get to see the difference between how these two people are, that Richard Parker's lies are kind of innocent white lies. He lies to her that he's got a butler, and it's his dad at his apartment, and they eventually meet up on the island as to where Andrew McCarthy starts opening up, and his lies are, yeah, well, let's just pretend he's alive. Let's just drag this fucking dead body around for days. And the movie doesn't portray the grisly actual nature of what happens when you die, but pretty much they're carrying around this shit-caked body leaking fucking fluids that's got to start stinking at some point. <laughs> I just imagine the awful corpse goo from Necromantic throughout the entire movie, and it's it's so heinous. It's much more devious than I, and I know I've said it like 30 fucking times. Yeah, Andrew McCarthy's a sociopath. I keep saying it. Um, I don't know. I think this would, this is an unironic thing, but if you want to have a fun summer party, you could play this film and follow it up with American Psycho, because I think it takes place in, what, 89, 88, maybe even 90? I don't quite remember the- 89. Yeah, so 80, well, I mean, American Psycho, so yeah, dual 89. Great. Oh, American Psycho is like 87, 86, yes, I think. close-ish. I mean, still a great double feature. I would really start with Weekend at Bernie's, and then I would do American Psycho. That sounds like fun. That actually, you could even do your drinks for the whole night. You could get certain vodkas. Uh, oh, man, yeah, look, the, celebrate Death by DVD's birthday with this awesome double feature we planned for you. We have a whole thing. <laughs> I didn't just fucking come up with it mid-show. Like, for me, like one of the scenes that works best in the film is doesn't even involve any of the, the dead Bernie body hijinks. It's them discovering the accounting error on the roof because it's a very dry scene of like just exposition that they're trying to unload. But instead of just having an exposition scene or like radically editing it to get through the like that level of dialogue. They give, they have business to do, and the business is it's hot, and they're on this hot tarred roof, and everything is like sticking to them, and it's all like pointless slapstick. It, like it adds nothing to the overall narrative, but it's there, and it, it like, and I think it's a really kind of, it's not even that it's like all like 
that funny. It's just setting the stage for kind of how extreme this movie is getting ready to go. Well, it's 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 a great thing to bring up because it's it's when I even started it. We jokingly came up with this concept a few days ago. I texted Alexander Nash and said, "Well, we're turning fourteen, and even though we took the summer break, what do you want to do?" And you suggested. You, I think you said back we could do something poignant or we could do something silly. And I jokingly said we could finally do Weekend at Bernie's, and here we are. And the first thought in my head was, "Yeah, I don't. Do I need to watch the movie?" And immediately when I think of this movie, the very first scene that plays in my head is them on the roof. And I, I, I don't know yep. why. It just rings out how sticky and hot it is. You just have this perception. This is a New York City summer. And what sells it is the 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 tar and all this shit from the roof. And a few scenes later, when they're in Bernie's office, he, oh, it's just printer ink. And he's got this tar stuck together. It's very soft, sellable gimmicks. And when you look, especially at, like, First Blood, it's it's so different from every other Rambo movie. For one, Sylvester Stallone didn't direct it. But what sells it is you don't get really any, any exposition of John Rambo. You get it at the very end of the movie, but he's just this guy that is coming into town on a motorcycle. Cop kind of fucks with him, and we follow the story as it untells through or untells as it's being told through this character and what's happening with this character. Weekend at Bernie's might be a simplistic plot of this guy Bernie has been killed and these guys are dragging his body around, but when you follow the actual arc of the two characters, one learns nothing and his might have learned more skills to sharpen his sociopathy, but the other one, well, he at least is going to get laid. I thought I was going somewhere with this, but I wasn't. Sorry. Well, I mean... Yes, it's it's gearing towards he's learned something about himself that they completely undo in Weekend at Bernie's 2 and kind of reset the character back to where he was at the beginning of this film. But that's kind of all sequels because you kind of it need the characters to go back to like who they were originally as people because you can't have something where like a character learns something in a first film and a second film. I continue to learn that because what we're like they're really trying to do with the sequel is just recapture that magic. So gotta reset everything that's like that goes for horror films and everything else is let's reset some stuff and uh kind of have people run through the motions again do the same thing but bigger we'll go to uh the cayman islands or canary islands or whatever the hell islands are at and voodoo is added and bernie walks around because music plays and voodoo such a weird diversion, I thought, when when they get to the sequel. Of, like, that's the direction they're taking this. Okay. Yeah, it seemed, I mean, you, you already had a great idea of a summer movie, but but really, even a fucking writer's room throwing it together, how else can you keep this body reanimated this long until you throw something silly into it? I don't hate the sequel. I think it's 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 more of a horror comedy than Weekend at Bernie's is a comedy and a horror movie at the same time, but it's fucking terrible. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, I mean, I I don't hate the film, but like anything, this is a stretch, but there's a certain level of believability to the first film. I know it sounds stupid as fuck, but when you get to the sequel, you've added like a supernatural kind of element to it, and it was like already four years later, I think, when they made that one, and it was just like uh, we know what we like we're what we made before. And we're getting diminishing returns for it again because that's that's ultimately how it turns out is just you can't really go back to that well and expect it to like 
turn out quite the same because once that initial premise is run through in the first film, there's not much else you can do with it. And they try to do some stuff. It's just not really there. It just, it doesn't work as well. Um, and, and it's mostly a forgotten sequel. There's still some love for Weekend at Bernie's. I mean, it's it's a punchline to a lot of people of just like, you know, crude cinema of like, ah, shitty movies like Weekend at Bernie's. But uh, there is a certain mastery of comedy into it. It it does what it does. And it like and it has held for years, even if it is a punchline to most people, it's still the punchline from 1989. It's still the butt of a lot of jokes of guys carrying around a dead body and hilarity ensues yeah and and to kind of pass it off as a shitty movie is is a little blase because it's shot well despite how bananas the subject matter is it's written and performed with moderate excellence there's there's not a lot from technical aspects that you can sit and nitpick on this movie i mean just judging it of how movies are shot it's really not bad. The sequel's completely different territory, but it's funny. I was talking about how, yeah, you can pair this up with American Psycho. You easily also could enjoy yourself by watching Weekend at Bernie's 2 followed by Serpent and the Rainbow. Both of the movies go, I almost like Weekend at Bernie's 2 more than Serpent and the Rainbow. I'm not the biggest <laughs> Wes Craven guy. Um, yeah, it's not one of my favorite Craven films. Music of the Heart is my favorite Wes Craven movie, so if that says anything, it says that... Um, I like Meryl Streep, but who the fuck doesn't? Who doesn't? It's well, Meryl. Well, in bringing up cinematography, what it does translate to is showing its settings for what they are because it's able to translate what a like scorching-ass New York summer is like. And when you get to the Hamptons later in the film, it opens up and becomes a little bit more, you know, I mean, it's, the ha- it's supposed to be the Hamptons. I think they shot in, like, South Carolina, North Carolina or something. But uh, it gives it that... Um, a little bit more of a tropical feel a little bit, you know, that beach feel and you can, you know, like it, it makes you a little bit more wistful for times that you have a vacation at the beach with your family or whatnot. I mean, it's, it's shot in a way that is representative of the environments that are trying to portray, which is a hard fucking press case. in a lot of modern cinema, people are too obsessed with, doing color correction and filtering lights and all this stuff. And as opposed to just kind to translate what an environment looks like, what environment feels like translating what the weather even is like. Um, Like I would, I would much rather have a super bright light, like sitting in for moonlight in the woods while the rain is pouring down. It's something like Friday 13th part five, as opposed to throwing all these blue colored color corrected or using gels over your lights, that fake-ass blue moonlight bullshit that, like, most modern films are like. That's, I like it, a film that is just shot for what it is and not trying to be too overly pretentious, too overly, like, um, graphic with the cinematography and just trying to, like, you know, control an environment. Like, someone like, let's say, like, Zack Snyder, who's just, I can paint any background and I want to, and I'm going to. Everything's going to be shot at fucking magic hour. Well, that, I don't want everything to look like that. I want it to actually be representative of a time and a place in history. And Weekend at Bernie's, was shot in 88, is a perfect representation of what New York City and, say, North Carolina, um, what it looked like in the summer when they shot it. And it is representative of that. It's frozen time and not just like a story 
bookification of what reality is, which is just it's just a little tiresome for me at this point in history. I think what really works, uh, something that you had touched upon earlier, is just a quality director. I think we have somebody that was assured of themselves in the story. There was no questions, and they knew what, what bullet points to hit, and that's what really works. And I'm not saying somebody like Zack Snyder isn't assured of what he's doing, but you have, especially for somebody like him, a very great backdrop. It doesn't matter if you get the perfect scene. It doesn't matter if you got the perfect angle because we'll fix it later in green screen with a complete CGI model of the person and we'll we'll, we'll put them in. I mean, there's a famous photo going around from um, one of the new Spider-Man films of Spider-Man kissing his girlfriend. And there's a green screen version of it next to it where Zendaya wasn't even on set and it was just somebody in a green... Yeah, you don't have to worry about stuff anymore. I mean, what was that big Netflix zombie film where one of the actors was fired because of, of being a fucking rapist bad oh, guy? Oh, God. The, the Snyder film? Um... Yo, look at Zack Snyder shit, so I'm sorry. <laughs> what the fuck was Army of the Dead? That movie was yeah, terrible. They completely uh, took a whole actor out of the movie and replaced them in post. So it doesn't... The people fucking like three him. hours long and it looked like fucking hot garbage. Well, I mean, you're you're what my reference here is, is you're able to do so much stuff now. Even um, even some of the Titans, the greatest people that have ever made art on the planet. Martin Scorsese, beautiful person. He did the Irishman. It doesn't really you're, you're not my point, I guess, where I'm trying to get here is you're not like in this modern era forced to do anything it can all be done in post it can all be done on some sort of computer and maybe it's the error but the era rather that this film was made in but the competency competency of the artist behind it being able to do all the things that you have brought up because now things just don't matter you can just download some fucking file that makes it look like a 1977 film and you top it over your movie on vegas or whatever program you're using and boom you're done it it's it's not a worry anymore i think actually having to as the kids say, vibe with the talent and the actors and come up with what this movie feels like is a big part of production that has been lost, that there was something set up with Weekend at Bernie's, and it's replicated. You've brought up not only that it's been the butt of a joke for, for decades and decades, but the feeling of this movie is drastically replicated in any sort of buddy comedy, something goes bad feeling. I mean, the show Supernatural especially. There is so fucking much taken from Weekend at Bernie's constantly between Sam and Dean. Just the, the, the dynamic of those characters when something goes bad every time I watch that show, which I'm not a hater. I like the first... Part before it got really biblical uh, when there were just two guys in a car. First three hunting. seasons weren't bad, and then it turned into a soap opera, and I got less interested. I want a monster of the week. Yeah, two dudes in a car hunting monsters, a sweet car that was really cool, classic rock soundtrack sort of thing like that. But it's a dynamic, and it's 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 often copied, rarely done right, but it's it's incredibly organic. And you look at something like you've been talking about and bringing up. Uh, that I can't, I cannot think of the comedian's name. Tig something or another. What Tig Nataro. That's kind of, I enjoyed her in it because she didn't fit in and looked like she was on a green screen the entire time because she was. And I there was some kitsch factor to, th to that for me where it's just like, wow, they're not even trying to make it look like she's incorporated into this footage. And that's very what much. I mean. Like it didn't look bad to me. It didn't look annoying. It looked like. Okay, we're doing some sort of Roger Corman thing here. Like we're 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 returning to really shitty fucking movies. 
and I didn't. I, you you seem to hate it a lot more than I do. I didn't consider it anything more than um, content. Literally, I don't consider it a fucking movie. It's just content. I thought the story could have been okay. It's it was shot, and like nobody was pulling Zack Snyder back. He was just throwing everything he could at it with like with lighting, with like special effects, with slow motion, and this any slow motion scene was so fucking busy you could not tell what was going on because there was shit flying in the air everywhere, and your eye couldn't focus. There's a certain amount of confidence with someone like Ted uh, Kochiev, like to just present a day. And just shoot what is there. And I'm not saying like you uh, special effects are a thing. I understand that, but like to just overly just pick at frames in your film and just constantly digitally paint shit in and out and just fuck with every last second of it. I think it's masturbatory. There's no confidence in, in, in like being a filmmaker in that. Let the image speak for itself. Stop trying to like gum it up with so much shit. It looked like a Transformers movie. It was just ugly. I sometimes wonder if it just comes down to Netflix gave us $250 million to make this movie. Let's use every cent sort of situation. I mean, I'm not trying to speak on behalf of this goddamn movie at all, but we we, we got off subject while on subject in a pretty detailed conversation. So we've gotten to some weird territory with Weekend at Bernie's, but you know what? It's not that far off that it, it it's the... I think the, the point that has been derived from this episode is how easy it is to actually overlook Weekend at Bernie's for it being a quality film. And let's, we'll keep it genreless because I almost said a quality thriller film. It's solid filmmaking. It's All a dumbass yeah. premise. It's a dumb movie. It can be funny at times, but it's a solidly made film. I have no gripes with the filmmaking in it. And when you, when you digress and look further into the movie, I, a lot of it's a lot of it is problematic in in 2023 in today's culture. But Weekend at Bernie's is a really twisted movie. I mean, I think it manages to offer more offensive subject matter than some of the Hellraiser sequels do. I mean, most of the time you've just got a bunch of people that find the box and then get ripped apart by Hellraiser, but someone fucks a corpse in this movie and has, all the while, this corpse being abused in the, the most disgusting ways ever. But they wanted to party, and all bets are off when you really, really want to party. And one of your friends is an alarming sociopath. I'm, I'm sure that Andrew McCarthy's character had bodies at some point in his life and, and around his basement. But we finally did it. We did Weekend at Bernie's. I, I don't know if I feel any different or any better off for doing it, though. I thought maybe things would change, but... You thought you'd be changed as a person, you'd grow yeah, as a man? Yeah, I thought maybe I'd grow a little bit, but I just, just kind of want to party. Please don't carry my corpse around after I'm dead. No, depends on how much you weigh. That's not a fat joke. I'm just saying I'm not, you know, dragging around anything. Heavier than a child's corpse. Wow, I shouldn't. That's weird. Wow. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying I'm not, you know, anything heavier than a 12-pack of beer. I'm not going to So you and Larry takes one to no one? Uh, I don't know. I just didn't want to make a fat joke because you can't do that anymore in 2020. 
<laughs> so I'll make a dead child joke. I can still get away with that. That sounds a whole better. Isn't there a 90s comedy about fat camp that we could do about how heavyweights? Heavyweights. Yeah, there is a with fat camp movie. <laughs> I thought I made that up. I didn't. I didn't. And there's Camp Nowhere with Christopher Lloyd. Oh, wow, we could do Wet Hot uh, American Summer. Bushwhacked with Daniel Stern? Wow, look at all the movies that we could be discussing, maybe, on Death by DVD's Summer School. It's selling itself. $4. $4 a month, and you can have access to all this and more video episodes. I, Alexander Nash, is going to show everyone his cock. That is not a legally binding contract. (laughs) I'm sorry. Sorry, uh, uh, I'll edit around some of this. Um, sure. The regular version you. of this episode is going to be missing some fun stuff that is going to make you, your mother, your toddler, everyone around you want to be a part of Death by DVD's Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash deathbydvd, or you could go to our website, deathbydvd.com, and click the page that says Patreon. Weekend at fucking Bernie's. We have fulfilled the cycle Finally, uh, after all of these miserable goddamn years, and we come full circle at the beginning of the show, we told you this is Death by DVD's 14th birthday. We have a show that is old enough for you to marry in Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, and certain parts of Texas. It's insane. We have raised this show from absolutely nothing to, I like to think, a little bit of something. For years, we were told, oh, God, I love listening to your show, but the audio quality sucks. And now, (laughs) we can offer Death by DVD in great audio quality, and we choose to talk about Weekend at Bernie's. And the content sucks now. (laughs) Yeah, have fun. We're talking about Weekend at Bernie's. I'm done talking about Return of the Living Dead. You want a Return of the Living Dead episode? It's cool. Do I talk about Toby Hooper's version again? Yeah, I do. (laughs) I do, honestly. Do we talk about the original book written by John Russo that is, like, wildly a different story? Yeah. Um, It's very, very nice that Dan O'Bannon gave John Russo credit on Return of the Living Dead because they have nothing to do with each other. Didn't have a choice. Yeah, the only thing that remained was the title. And uh, with Death by DVD, a lot has remained the same. I mean, you're you're one of the original creators of this show. I helped co-create it with my twin cousin, Hank, the world's greatest, who we lost in 2022. It's terrible. We miss him greatly. But still, who knows? We'll probably be here for another 14 years until one of us actually dies, like for real. Dies, dies. Not that who shot Hank isn't real. Well, the other Hank drowned in the Atlantic on his raft of Zima bottles or whatever the fuck that was. It's not even like the original Hank had been around for that long. I mean, we had the original Hank. He left and disappeared into the woods, and then we had multiple ones that died. There was a British actor that played one of them. There was a Welsh guy that played one of them. There are tons of different Hanks. I'm his twin cousin. Because that makes complete and utter sense. Look, if you're a fucking Twin Peaks fan, I won't take any goddamn horseshit from you people wondering what a twin cousin is. Alright? First things fucking last, you should know. You should know at that point. Do you want me to hum Laura's theme now? I would be more impressed if you did the Red Room. You know, do some jazzy zazz, you know, come up. And I'll see you, and you'll see me. Uh, Season 2? Last episode? Yeah. No, I know know exactly... What's his name? Sunny something. 
I can't remember. I would Google it, but I'm not. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Fuck it. No new information for you. Death by DVD, year 14, will continue this October. We're taking the summer off. You may or may not have heard about it already. This episode has at least been a glimpse into our sweet, sweet summer. I'm wearing a Hawaiian shirt. I got a cooler filled with beer. We're hanging out on the fucking beach. We're enjoying ourselves. You, too, could be enjoying your summer with us exclusively in the graveyard on Patreon. We'll be doing weird wacky movies just like this and reliving some of our glorious live era shows where we talk about absolutely inane bullshit for about an hour long you got anything else i got nothing that's it wrap it right there oh it's death by dvd's 14th birthday thank you for keeping death by dvd relevant for the last 14 years someone somewhere out there downloads the episodes whether it be in Georgia to Israel, we've got someone. Thank you. Thank you for, for for keeping us around. Thank you for subscribing to Patreon if you're watching the Patreon version of this episode. Thank you in general. I, Alexander Nash, and myself wouldn't continue doing the show if there wasn't somebody out there. Thank you. Thank you for listening. The ashtray is full. The bottle is empty. And as always, for the last 14 years... Be pleasant. There's your film school level of dissection of Weekend at Bernie's. That's it. Motherfucker's done. Death by DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning. been listening to death by dvd's 14th birthday episode thank you for choosing death death forever forever death